Hi, this is Gender Gap, a monthly podcast series where we chat or gap about our PhD experiences, fails, and accomplishments when researching on gender and abuse. We are your hosts, Julia and Annie, and this is sponsored by the Gender Research Group at Glasgow Caledonian University in Scotland. touching on sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello and welcome everyone to the third episode of Gender Gab. Thanks so much for joining us and we love today's topic so we hope some of you will be able to relate to some of it too. Absolutely. So let's jump into it. Imagine um, you know a lot about a specific subject, um, either because you have a degree or you read a lot or you know it's your own experience. But every time you talk about it or you write about it or you contribute something or talk to someone um, within your field or out with your field, you're just constantly on edge or feeling like you're getting something wrong. And by something, I mean everything, like (laughs) everything you say may be completely wrong. And then you start spiraling into this anxiety slash panic attack of wondering whether you actually know anything. And you start thinking that you actually have no clue at all and that you (laughs) don't belong in your field and you definitely don't belong in academia because everyone else seems so much smarter and the people around you are going to figure out very soon that you're in fact um, just making everything up as you go and um, you know it's gonna happen any minute now and just by sheer luck so far you weaseled your way into this position or is this just me <laughs> yes absolutely how did you know <laughs> I have definitely felt all of these things um, and I'm sure a majority of PhD students postdocs and generally all academics have also felt this way at some point and we commonly refer to this as imposter syndrome Generally, imposter syndrome is marked by feelings of inadequacy, questioning one's intelligence, and sometimes an internalized fear of being found out as a fraud, despite having explicit evidence of your own competence. So just what Julia, everything Julia said, that is uh, imposter syndrome. (laughs) Essentially, some common signs that you may experience this can be self-doubt and inability to assess your own competence and skills, attributing success to external factors belittling your own performance, um, having fear that you're not living up to your own or others' expectations, overachieving, and even sabotaging your own success. Yeah, and like what's really interesting about this is you may use these feelings to fuel your motivation, but more likely you're also experiencing constant or continuous anxiety, or you overprepare, or you overwork yourself to ensure that nobody finds out that you're a phony, and any success you do have you kind of second guess or you attribute to sheer luck. And um, actually, it reminds me, um, you know how I spent like six hours on TikTok? Yes. <laughs> okay, so a couple of months back, I came across one um, by Raquel Olson, um, where she pointed out the five types of imposter syndrome we may identify identify ourselves with so first we have the perfectionist who sets extremely high expectations and even when they have you know 99% of their goal achieved they still feel like a failure because it's not 100% Um, then we also have the expert who needs to know every single piece of information before doing anything um, because else they feel incompetent because otherwise you know people might ask questions and they look stupid for not knowing hashtag myself (laughs) Um, so then we have the natural genius who believes that if they struggle 
when learning, something is, you know, it, that's the proof that they're not good enough. So they restrict themselves only to the skills that come easily. Hashtag me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have these soloists who thinks they need to accomplish everything on their own. Because, you know, asking of help is a sign of weakness. Um, thanks, men. Um, and lastly, we have the superhero who pushes themselves to work as hard as possible to prove that they are not the fraud because they have a need to um, essentially excel at anything they do in life. Yep, I think I can relate to most of those descriptions, <laughs> sadly. Um, I think the natural genius one speaks to me a bit because as a kid I was told I was, you know, really good at art and really good at sports and all these things that people said it was a natural, you know, talent and for a long time I struggled so to work on anything that felt difficult because I thought I should be naturally good at things um, and I... I think I, you know, I was, I don't know. I think that's where some of my problems stem from. But also I think a bit with the soloist because I have a hard time asking for help um, for fear of looking stupid. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I feel like, like for academia, my main one is probably the expert fueled a bit with perfectionist and superhero because like every time I write something or well, actually every time I read something, I feel like I... I have a really hard time knowing when I've read enough. So I keep constantly going back to more and more papers, even though I've already read 100 papers to support or contrast my points. But I still keep falling through the spiral of having this need to read more because I always feel like I'm overlooking something or I still don't know enough or I still need to know more about this tiny, tiny, insignificant thing. Um, and yeah, it just keeps spiraling into reading hell for way too long. Yes, that is also very relatable. <laughs> so all of these, you know, things, this imposter phenomenon was first introduced in the 1970s by two psychologists, Clance and Imes, after they identified 150 high achieving identified. I think they identified them, but they also <laughs> interviewed 150 high achieving women. Um, they found that these accomplished women all doubted and downplayed their skills and intellect. And in their initial article, Clance and Imes mentioned that imposter syndrome appeared to be less prevalent in men. Um, so right away, we can see that there appears to be some gendered element with imposter syndrome. So also other studies have shown that gender discrimination or sexism in professional settings may be associated with higher rates of imposter phenomenon amongst women, but also higher rates among women of racial and ethnic minorities. So there we go. We can immediately see that experiences of oppression, such as racism and sexism, um, may have intersecting, are, are obviously intersecting and exacerbate feelings of intellectual incompetence. Oh, yeah, totally. I also read a really interesting article online um, titled Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. Um, as always, links will be down below. And so the article discussed how imposter syndrome is not what we should be focusing on because like back in the 70s, discussions on systemic racism and classism and sexism, they were largely absent back then. Um, and that's also when imposter syndrome was introduced. So when we're talking about experiences of imposter syndrome, we are focusing on the individual, but we disregard the historic and cultural context, um, which influences who is feeling inadequate and why are they feeling inadequate. So the authors point out um, to quote, imposter syndrome directs our view towards fixing women at work instead of fixing the places where women work. Yes, I read that too. And also I read a few articles 
in preparation for the podcast that mentioned how we shouldn't be pathologizing feelings of self-doubt that are natural in high achieving positions. So the article that you mentioned directly, um, directly compared the pathologist pathologization. <laughs> That's a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there we go. I feel like an imposter. Um, so how we pathologize imposter syndrome. Uh, they compared that to historical diagnosis of female hysteria. So we continue to diagnose, quote unquote, difficult women who are unwilling or unable to tolerate the constraints of our male dominated societies. So any internalized feelings of self-doubt, presumably a result of patriarchal societies reinforcing that women are incapable of certain things, um, is automatically medicalized and made into a woman's illness. Um, as we saw with hysteria for years and years, uh, women are just considered crazy if they uh, try and course <laughs> yeah what do else? anything <laughs> so just like you mentioned this is really focused on the individual rather than why they're experiencing these feelings of inadequacy which are obviously based in wider systemic power structures with which position white cishet men on top and anyone who attempts to be on that same level are immediately considered imposters or told that they will most likely feel like an imposter so that's actually another reason why workshops specifically on imposter syndrome are targeted at women and marginalized groups well, like in line with this, what's also really interesting, uh, I read another similar article on why we should stop diagnosing imposter syndrome. Um, so it becomes difficult for women especially to not feel like imposters when they receive leadership positions because we often hear or we're often told in order to be successful as a leader, you need to either be a man or at the very least, you need to adopt very masculine leadership styles or masculine traits. Yeah. Um, and even in like seminars on leadership or imposter syndrome directed directed um, directly towards women, you sometimes get this narrative conveyed as well. So as if feminine traits cannot be associated with good or successful leadership. And I think that's where some contemporary leaders, like for example, Jacinda Arden, are pathing the way for new generations of female leaders by centering values of um, femininity, like compassion and kindness in their leadership style. So... And at one point, she even, like, for example, mentions that it takes courage and strength to be empathetic um, and how leadership is about building bridges and um, not about being the loudest in the room. And whilst it is great that we get such role models, um, I think there is still quite a lack of such female role, role models across most disciplines, um, including um, academia, for example. Mm -hmm. So... That's why we're also, it's it's more likely that we have struggles with feeling like imposter because the roles um, in higher positions are still masculine dominated and there's still this unspoken, or, well, actually, <laughs> mostly sometimes also very loudly spoken need to adopt masculine traits um, in order to be successful or even just in order to seem professional to begin with. And kind of like to tie it back to your point, um, women and minorities feel like they don't belong in certain roles because they were never supposed to belong. Mm. And therefore what we should really be looking into, and that's also what you touched on, um, is we should be unraveling um, these generated insecurities and inequalities that structure most of social life. Absolutely. And I, I think for the reasons you mentioned and touching on academia, it makes total sense that PhD students in particular would feel like they're, you know, drowning underwater sometimes. I mean, 
when we prepared for this episode, we did a little Twitter poll to see if fellow academics also feel like imposters in their research. And <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so we had um, 31 people answering the poll and almost one third said they felt like an imposter on a daily basis. And 60% felt this way weekly. And the remaining ones um, either said monthly less often. And we had one person who replied they never um, felt like an imposter. Yeah, and so we're just speculating because we don't know the gender of our respondents, but given that our listeners and Twitter followers are predominantly um, women, it may also mean that the people who answered our poll were predominantly women. Since we chatted about the gender nature of feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt, it may have been interesting to ask for a respondent's gender to see if there were any noticeable difference. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless of having 90% of respondents indicate that they feel like an imposter in their research daily or weekly is wild. I mean, I knew it would be high, but I was actually pretty surprised to see just how many people felt this way. Really? I feel like like the sad thing is I wasn't really surprised. I mean, <laughs> I guess I wasn't like super surprised, but 90% that's a lot. Um, and I actually, I, I read a article before preparing for this podcast and it was uh, a survey distributed to 600 doctoral students in an Austrian university. Um, Shout out to Austria, Julia. Uh, <laughs> overall, I think they had 82% of researchers in that sample reported symptoms of imposter phenomenon, and women specifically reported higher scores um, of greater fear of success and fear of failure, as well as lower self-esteem compared to the male participants. So I think a common experience of dealing with, you know, imposter and feelings of being an imposter is thinking that you're the only one who feels this way. Um, but as we can see from the 90% who feel this way weekly or daily, um, this is obviously not true. And still, I find myself thinking that I am the imposter and I'm the only one feeling this way. So that's great. What about you, Julia? Okay, story time. So when I, back in first year, when I had my first very big supervisor, like first big supervisor meeting after submitting the first draft of um, my general idea, I kept thinking how much unnecessary uh, unnecessary information I was um, writing and how I was completely convinced that everything I wrote was probably um, misinterpreted and how my writing as a non-native is totally trash and I'm probably not really able to convey what I'm trying to, um, what I'm thinking, like in a manner that is um, academically adequate. So I was mentally totally prepared um, for my supervisors to just rip my paper apart. And I know it's great feeling, um, but when I was having the meeting, my supervisors, of course, they were super nice and very constructive about it. And they gave like really nice feedback um, and very constructive feedback. And at the end, I told them that I was really relieved um, because I kept waiting for them to just raise the butt card and just say, well, actually, everything is trash. Redo everything. Bye. Um, so they both were super nice about this. And they were also saying how they themselves um, feel like imposters sometimes, especially during their PhDs. Um, but like looking back, um, their supervisory team is here to give constructive feedback and um, talk critically about certain bits. Um, so I really shouldn't be worried too much um, about it or I shouldn't worry too much about it so they made this quite more relatable of how I was feeling and I think what made it for me back then especially was that Karen and I don't know if she remembers but she sent me an email afterwards with a picture of Amelia Earhart um, where it was saying as PhDs you're explorers not imposters and I printed this email off and hung it up on my wall at uni and um, well back before COVID, um, I kept looking at it whenever I felt a little or a lot inadequate to um, take this as a reminder that we are indeed um, exploring a subject. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think we both got very lucky in how supportive and great our supervisory teams are. Um, And I don't know if I have a specific example of like yours, but I do feel a bit like a fraud every time I sit at my desk. So that is fun. (laughs) And lately I've been feeling like I'm going to get an email from one of my supervisors asking me to just drop out of the PhD. Like... (laughs) Every time I get an email from my supervisors, I'm convinced they're going to be like, actually, Annie, we've thought about it. We just think you need to drop out. So um, I don't think that's accurate. Hopefully not. No. Uh, <laughs> maybe Speaking I'll... to you, I know it's inaccurate. <laughs> so maybe I'll print out a picture of Amelia Earhart. Too. Yeah, I'll, I'll forward you the email so you can print it on too. Yes. It's great. <laughs> so we both just participated in the SGSSS summer school in a few different sessions. And one session focused on resisting neoliberalism in academia through feminist pedagogies led by Joe Ferry and Sharon Greenwood of University of Glasgow. And both Joe and Sharon mentioned persis- persistent feelings of imposter syndrome throughout their PhDs and currently in their academic positions. Um, and if I recall correctly, one of them mentioned the power of being stubborn in a PhD and that maybe we can question our intelligence all day long, but as long as we stay stubborn throughout um, and about what we want to achieve for our projects, that's all that really matters. And that really resonated with me. So maybe staying stubborn and ignoring some of the toxic voices in our heads is a form of resistance in in and of itself. Yeah, actually, that's quite interesting, right? Because it kind of like leads back to one of our first points that you can use it for motivation, mm. the stubbornness. Yes. Um, it was such a great session too. Um, also, oh my God, let's not forget our collective and continuous example. Julia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Calling ourselves out today. Um, just doing this podcast is so anxiety and imposter syndrome inducing, not gonna lie. Like every single time we prep for an episode, we both collectively just spiral down a rabbit hole of whether we have covered enough or explained it well enough or made a point that is accurate. Like I feel especially our first two episodes had us such like on edge until we received some positive feedback about it. Which is I mean, it's it's a bit sad, but I think it is it's it shows, you know, strength that we've continued, even mm-hmm. though we felt inadequate, that we're still, you know, trying to put our voices out there. Um, and I think I, I generally feel imposter syndrome the most when I'm putting myself out for, you know, public eye. Um, so it makes sense that we're feeling a bit nervous for the quality of our podcasts and our PhD work. So, um, but just to expose us a bit more. <laughs> We had to record our first podcast about four times and we were just so nervous about whether it was okay. And I think we've gotten a little bit more relaxed. So hopefully that's portrayed and, you know, it's a little less, we sound a little less (laughs) nervous, hopefully, Um, because overall this should be fun and showcase our research and experiences. And I'm hoping that by talking about our feelings of self-doubt that that may help other PhD students feel that they're not alone in these experiences. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's a learning curve after all, like all of this, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, yeah. Um, also, I read a blog post by Professor Muburn on the thesiswhisperer.com, or just Thesis Whisperer, sorry. Um, and I love how they talked about imposter syndrome. I'd paraphrase it, but honestly, it's just better to include the direct quote from their piece. So, quotes. We need to recognize that these imposter feelings are not a syndrome because they cannot be cured, only managed. My best advice is to recognize the thinking pattern. Pretend for argument's sake that this is this imposter syndrome, that it is imposter syndrome and give it a name. I call my imposter syndrome Beryl. She's my nagging great aunt sitting on the edge of a sofa with a teacup saying, oh no, 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 Inger, do you really think you should do that? What will people think of you? 
Beryl keeps me sharp. It pays to listen to her, but critically. Sometimes she's warning me about a real problem. In that case, I need to listen up and do something about it. Other times, she's just being an uptight, prissy old bitch and can be safely ignored. Don't let Beryl rule your life, okay? (laughs) So, I mean, even, you know, they point out right there that it can be a strength to listen to your internal critic because that can motivate you. It can also make you alert to certain things that you should be focusing on. But sometimes you just need to tell your internal critic to shut up. (laughs) So with these wise words from Professor Mewburn, I think we should begin to wrap up our conversation on imposter syndrome. But first, I'm curious, what is the name of your imposter syndrome? Okay. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. We have Chat, who is a mediocre cis-head white boy who's trying to tell me what to do or undermine what I know. And because we are not listening to the mediocre cis-head white boy, we shove him into the closet to open the door for Amelia to tell us what's actually up and how I'm still in a phase of exploring. (laughs) That fits you very well. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to go with Miranda because I just keep picturing Meryl Streep's character from Devil Wears Prada as my internal critic. (laughs) Nice. After our chat about imposter syndrome, I think it's important to also um, wrap this episode up with our accomplishment of the month. So what are you proud of? Yes, uh, accomplishments are always a good way to tell your internal critic to shut up. So I don't have a specific accomplishment, I don't think, but um, I I did stay on top of most of my work with my full-time PhD and my part-time job. So, <laughs> woo! Yeah, yes, you should be. I mean, doing a PhD is really exhausting, but working on the side is even more challenging. Um, so as for me, I actually, for once, deliberately took an entire week off for my mental health. So I'm very proud of making that active choice and just ignoring every single email that came in. That's awesome. Good for you. Um, I think more people need to do that. <laughs> so lead by example. Good job, Julia. Um, and I think that's it for this month. So thank you all for joining us. And make sure to tweet us the name of your imposter syndrome <laughs> at GenderGap. And I think Julia mentioned, but we've included all the resources in the description bar. Uh, Yes, and join us next month to hear about um, my first research publication on sexting education. Yes, you will not want to miss this one. Bye. Bye!